We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Justine Grief, recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Who loves this time of the year? Can I have a show of hands? It sometimes is about 50-50, the pressure can get to people, but I actually, I think it's amazing. Yes, there are more things to do. Yes, there are Christmas parties to attend, but actually, when we step back from it all, what we're celebrating is incredible. And this season, I always have anticipation for it because in the midst of all of that, there's always a revelation God gives me about just what He's done for this world about what He's done for me, about what He's done for my family, for our church, for the nations. You know, the greatest gift of all is, was God being willing to send His Son, and that's truly what we're celebrating. So one of my greatest gifts in this season is looking forward to just what God will reveal as I reflect on the Christmas story, as I come into this season. And I think truly, sometimes as I say, the busyness can get to us, but actually it's in amidst chaos. It was in amidst mess. You know, there were no rooms in the inn for Mary to have Jesus. It was a busy season he was born into, and yet he came and he brought peace and he brought hope and he brought salvation to us all. So God is not threatened by the mess. He's not concerned about it. He works and amidst it. He comes and meets us within it. And so in this season, don't let all those pressures crowd out what He has to say to you, the message He has to speak to you. This year, I've been um, reflecting on that season. And one of the things that God has just highlighted to me is that whole process of when the gifts are wrapped under the tree and the anticipation of those gifts and the different temperaments in approaching those gifts. The reason that's been highlighted to me is that my brother and I growing up were really different. So who out there is like my brother? He was the kind of person that would pick it up, feel it, shake it, like figure out dimensions. We've got a couple of hands of trying to anticipate, yeah, okay, people are being honest now, what this gift was. Now, I don't know if you can be as honest as I go on to tell you a little bit more about what brother was like. So he would do this and he'd try and figure out what it was. And he got to the point, he's so impatient and so desperately wanted to know what was in that gift that when mum and I went out, he would actually unwrap it and he'd have a peek. Oh, we've got, <laughs> we've got a confession on the front row. And, and down the back. Um, so he would literally, and the trouble was, is that, as I say, we were quite different. I was the rule keeper. He would call me the goody two-shoes. But I did the wrapping of the presents, and I, my perfectionism was well out of control then. And I had a whole lot of time. And so the creases were perfect, the sellotape perfectly placed. And so who knows that when mum and I returned home, it was obvious that my brother had opened his presents and taken a peek. Now, some of you, particularly those that can't wait, might go, oh, well, his problem. No surprises on Christmas. But for mum and I, it was like, no, that's not okay. He has to have a surprise. And so we made it our mission to, to hide his Christmas gift from him each year. So the first year, what we did when we realised what he was up to is we wrapped an empty box trouble was, he's not stupid, he's quite smart. He'd pick up the box and he was like, oh, come on. Like, it's an empty box, mum. Like, because it was weightless and he, he, he knew. And we were like, oh, that didn't work. So the next year, we wrapped up a brick because we figured it had some weight to it. When he shook it, it would move and he wasn't quite sure. And so we did. We fooled him. 
except one day we came home and he couldn't tell us, but his face, <laughs> it had dropped and he was sort of moping around like, <laughs> I'm getting a brick for Christmas. And he learned after that that it was almost like a game. Mum and I would hide his present somewhere and we got as clever as to wrap up boxes of things that could have been the thing we were giving him, but actually weren't. So we'd find another box. And it became a bit of a joke. And yet I always, I loved the surprise. I loved the anticipation. And so for me, another memory that God brought back to mind was when I, I think I was probably about 10 years old, and I got to unwrap my present, and inside of it was a camera. And I'd, I'd really, really wanted a camera, but I didn't think my mum's budget extended to it. So I had no hope of getting this present. And yet I opened up this camera. Now I'm going to show my age. It was a film camera. <laughs> and in those days, you had to, you know, you had to get the film and then save up, take it to the pharmacy where they'd develop the pictures, and then you had to save up for another film to be able to take some more. And so the learning curve for a 10-year-old was quite long. I imagined when I got this camera that I was going to take these beautiful photos. Now, for my 10-year-old self, that was of my cat, her kittens, the river that we used to go camping at. The pictures weren't going to be amazing, but I envisaged I would capture these memories and then they'd go on the wall and they'd look pristine. What I learnt when I developed that first film is that it's actually quite difficult to get heads completely in the shot. <laughs> that there's, there's quite a learning curve that you don't, just because you've got a camera doesn't mean you're a professional photographer. And so what God has kind of unveiled another situation is like a bike. So my brother, again, was amazing. My parents, when they taught him to ride a bike, just put him on a small rise, gave him a wee push, and away he went. He was on a bike, he was riding a bike. Myself took a little bit longer. My poor dad had to be so patient. In fact, when I finally rode on my own without training wheels, he tricked me. I got to the end of the driveway and he said to me, you know I wasn't holding on. I was like, what? I was like betrayed, but then like quickly surpassed by the elation of, I just rode a bike on my own. And again, God has just said to me with our gifts, sometimes that he has for us, sometimes we can be like my brother and we're not content with his timing. We wanna know what he's got for us and we're unwrapping it too early and he hides it from us because he knows we're not ready. It's not the right time. In other situations, we have a dream. We know God's given us a gift. We have all the tools. We've seen it, like when you get the camera or the bike. But that doesn't mean that the dream happens instantly. We might have the tools, but we have a journey to go on before we see the fruition of that dream. So like me as a 10-year-old with this camera, wasn't instantly going to become a professional photographer. I don't know if you've ever received a musical instrument, but chances are when you first got it, you sat down to play or you got that instrument and you started to play and didn't sound like what you knew the instrument was capable of. There's a bit of a journey to go on from beginning and you've got the tools, but you don't have the skill. And so again, God is saying that sometimes we know the dream We've got the gift, but it's not in its fullness. We haven't mastered it yet. 
that doesn't mean God's not in it. And so before I go on today, what I really want you to do is I want you to think about your dreams. I want you to think about the gifts, the unique abilities God has given you. Or even to reflect on what you know is coming in this next season. It might be that you've got some anticipation of what you think might be under the tree for you in this season, what God might be opening for you. I want you to think about it for your life because I believe as I speak this morning, God's got some words just for you that are gonna help you to unwrap that gift, that are gonna help you to develop the skills to use the gift that He has for you. Because the truth is, like for me, I have three children. I'm not only gonna buy one present and put it under the tree for one child. Not only selfishly, because Christmas Day would be horrendous, (laughs) but also because I actually love each and every one of my children. And I want each of them to receive a gift at Christmas time. Pastor Will in communion this morning read from Peter, where it says that God doesn't have any favourites. He has a gift for everyone. There is something for you. And if you don't know what it is, then I would say this season is for you to unwrap that and to go on a journey of learning just what God has for you. And so now that you've got your own dreams in mind, your own gifts, and and for some of you, God might have reminded you of something He's given you, a skill and ability, and it's almost like that camera, you've put it in the cupboard. You gave up once you got the, the pictures back and saw that half the heads were chopped off. Now that camera of mine is outdated, but for you, there might be a gift that you've laid aside that God says, hey, come on, let's dust it off. It's time to bring it out again. Each of us has something. Each of us has a gift. Last week, we were um, a team of us were here packing the Christmas boxes. And the way it worked is we had a long set of trestle tables and it began at the end where a team of people assembled the boxes and as it went on, more items were put into it. And the way it was set up is that a few of us came the night before and pre-packed some boxes, but not to completion. So that as each of the people in the team who were part of the assembly line came to their place in the table, they saw a box that didn't have the items they were packing and then a box that had the items they were packing. So for example, if they were putting sugar and Milo in, this box had no sugar and Milo. This box had the sugar and Milo where it needed to be. So they knew that their role was to put it in. And then they pushed it along. The people at the beginning of the line couldn't see the completed box. The people at the end of the line didn't know even the first layer. Each person just stepped up, took their place and did their role. In one of our breaks, Yolanda and I were talking about it and she was saying, isn't that an amazing picture of the body of Christ? And this whole week, it has, it's kept coming back to me. Because, you know, as I say, the first person in the assembly line puts the first items in. And the box doesn't look very impressive. It goes along and it gets more and more filled. And the last person actually puts the sticker on. They don't know what the contents are. And then we gave them to agencies who took them out to families in our community. And the testimonies have started to roll in. And those boxes bring hope and they bless people in this season. In fact, actually, I want to read to you one of the testimonies that we received this week. 
It says this, because it's to all of you, because all of you made it happen. It says, hi there, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to your church for the wonderful food parcel that I received from Heart Kids Otago today. I was overwhelmed and it was an amazing and very generous gift to receive at this time of the year and will be such a great help to my family. Thank you. It was greatly appreciated. Now, whether or not you were part of that assembly line, your giving enables that to happen. And what I want to say, like, as Yolanda said about it being a picture of the body of Christ, when we step up and we put our contribution in, it can seem insignificant, but God sees the big picture. He asks us to play our part, to come to the table and to do the part we're called to, perhaps to put the Milo and sugar in, or in your context, perhaps to continue faithfully praying for that family member or that friend. In your context, to operate with integrity at your work. In your context, to develop that skill like photography, to welcome someone as they walk into these doors for the first time. The thing that God has asked you to do, to obey Him, is you stepping up to the table and placing the one item in. Sometimes we write off what we do as insignificant because we can't see the hope that it brings. We don't see the big picture about our contribution to God's work. But the truth is, if we step back from the table, that box either cannot go along, or if it does go along, there are items missing. It's not in completion. So I want to bring you to a scripture from Zechariah in in chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Do not despise small beginnings. How often do we despise small beginnings? How often do we write off the box and we think, it's just an empty box. I've hardly got anything in it. How is this going to make any difference on our community? And yet, do you know what? God delights in much in your place at the beginning with the empty box as He does and the delivery of it to the hands of the person whom it blessed. Whatever your role, wherever your place is at the table, it is equally significant to the completion, and God celebrates each part that we play just as much. We need to get our minds into a place where we're celebrating, and we obeying God and stepping up to the table is the only thing that matters, not the end result. And so there's an analogy in Scripture that can be quite distant to us. Uh, Maybe not to some of you. I know looking out, there are some people I admire greatly in this area. So please don't judge me. (laughs) But for a lot of us, agriculture is very distant to our everyday life. So for me, I like my groceries to arrive at my door. To be honest, if I get a choice, I choose washed potatoes because I don't like scrubbing them. In an ideal world, someone would actually unpack them, put them in my cupboards and fridge, even come and cook them for me. (laughs) That would be brilliant. But arriving at my door is my ideal. Now, some of you actually make your own produce and you're amazing and I know it tastes better. But when I get that washed potato, I have no idea when it was planted. I have no idea what the right kind of soil is for it. Um... how you tend to it, what care has gone into it, how you get out of the ground so that you don't wreck the potatoes, no idea. I just care about the potato in my hand 
to make roast potatoes or hand-cut chips or something, something that tastes good. That's all I'm interested in. How often for us in life are we only interested in the harvest, only interested in the fruit? So often, and how often do we, that's why we despise the small beginnings, because we want the harvest. We just want the fruit. The process, that's tiresome. And even more dangerous, how often do we compare someone else's harvest and despise where we are? You know, something I can say of my generation, so I'll own it, is that what they say our generation has done is looked at our parents, when we were in our 20s, looked at our parents who were in their 50s, who'd worked for a good 30 years, really hard to have a wonderful home, lovely furniture, nice car, and to have a lifestyle. And what my generation went and did is said, I want that, but I don't want it to work. And so they used credit to get houses beyond their means. You, you know, not everybody. I'm not saying there's a sweeping judgment, but you hear what I say? They looked at the harvest of our parents' generations and they said, I want that, but I want it now. And they went about it in the wrong way. Scripture often talks about seeds. It often talks about this analogy of the process, which can be quite distant to our world, but is still in reality how the kingdom of God operates. And so, Again, thinking of those dreams and gifts you've got. When I said that to you, do you think of the harvest? Do you think of what it will look like in the end? Turn with me to Galatians 6, verse 7 to 8. I'm going to read it from the message version, where it says this, Don't be, mis- don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. They don't take much work, to be honest. All, I know how to make them. (laughs) And, yeah, anyway. Um, Don't, don't harvest weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, Harvest a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not let ourselves get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. We will harvest a good crop. The crop is coming. But sometimes we're in seed form. I listened to a podcast series earlier this year by Bill Hybels called Simplify. And there's a couple of phrases. The whole series is great, but there's two phrases that keep coming back to me that talk about this concept. One of them is it says, what would your schedule look like if God wrote it? What would your schedule look like if God wrote it? That's challenging for me because I think, is what I'm filling my life with what God is asking of me? or not. And the second one, which I found equally challenging is, your schedule should reflect who you're becoming, not what you are doing. So your schedule should reflect who you're becoming, not what you are doing. Yet again, he's saying we need to invest. We need to sow seeds for the future. We need to be intentional. Because the truth is, what I do know about gardening is if you do nothing, weeds grow. We need to, and I need to intentionally sow and plant 
what I want to be there. And I need to pull out the weeds. The same is true with our lives. We need to intentionally plant what we want to see growing in the future. So how does your schedule reflect who you're becoming rather than just what you are doing? What is growing in your life? And what seeds are you planting? If you turn with me again to Matthew 17, 20. It says this, You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. The context of this is that they'd come and they'd said, we met this demon-possessed boy and we cannot get the demon out. What do we do? Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. To understand the scripture, we have to zoom out and understand the mindset of the disciples. In that time, what people expected when the Saviour was born, when the Messiah was born, is they expected an earthly king. They were expecting an earthly kingdom. At that time, they were being ruled by the Romans. So the Israeli people were being ruled by the Romans. A foreign nation was dictating how they lived. So their expectation was that God was going to come in and he was going to reign and rule over them on earth rather than the Romans. They expected him to establish a, an earthly kingdom like which they'd asked for him before in the Old Testament that hadn't worked, where they'd asked for the kings and they had King Saul and King David and Solomon and then the nations started to break down. That's what they were expecting. They were expecting the Messiah to be born to overthrow the Romans and to rule here on earth. We know that was not God's intention. That was not what Jesus came for. But how often, and again, I'll speak from myself, because maybe it's just me, but in our lives, do we have an expectation of what God's rule and reign would be like? When I think about it, and often God compares me to my children, so says something about <laughs> how, yeah, anyway, um, but, you know, like I think of my children, I think if they were to get their wishes, if they were to dictate how we lived at the moment, it would be a lot of fun, a lot of fun, a lot of short-term fun. We'd be going, I don't know, what are the things you can pay for, like Inflatable World, Leap, Moana Pool. We'd be going like a lineup of those kind of activities. There would be loads of screen time. We'd be playing Clash of Clans and listening to Doc McStuffins all day. What would else? We'd probably be going and getting more toys, going shopping, buying toys. Chloe might throw some shoes and clothes in there because she's she loves shoes and clothes. You know, we'd be doing all this. Probably wouldn't go to school very often. <laughs> probably stay home and do some Lego. And who knows? We'd have a whole lot of fun in the short term, but it wouldn't be beneficial to them in the long term. It wouldn't achieve their potential. And what God has said to me is sometimes. You know, like in my life, what I'm asking for, what I'm expecting if his rule and reign would come, is a bit like that. It makes life more comfortable, more fun, nicer for me in the short term. But in the long term, it's not really what I want. There's a, a Joel Holm, I was reading a book of his, and he was talking about how we respond and how we pray. 
And again, he was saying, often in life, if we imagine that we're a ship and we're upon waters, when the storms come, because who knows in life if you've been around, the storms come. Often our prayers are to calm the storm, to remove the storm, to get rid of the storm, to make the water smooth and, and easy to, to sail on. You, not, don't use sailing analogy because you need the wind. But you know, the boat, the, it's, it's not choppy. We're not getting wet. There's no fear that things are going along smoothly. We want the best conditions. Yet he said, shouldn't our prayers be more about maintaining the ship? so that it can withstand the storm, so that we're praying that God would strengthen us, so that within that storm, we're not rattled by the storm, but we know God is with us and that we will still reach the destination because it's not about the storm, it's about the destination. And if God has said we're gonna get there, if He's given you that dream, if He's given you that gift and you've got a picture of it, then no matter what storm comes, you'll reach the destination. And if you want something to stir your faith in that, Read the journey of Paul and his shipwreck and what God did when the storm prevailed, but the ultimate plan of God was not waylaid. In fact, God was glorified by all the shipwreck and what happened. And so when we're coming back to that mustard seed faith, Jesus was trying to say to the disciples, you have an expectation of what my rule and reign will be like, but you've got it wrong. And so I'm going to tell you, it's like this small mustard seed. If you have faith as small as that, then you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. What he's saying is that something inconsequential, something that you wouldn't think anything of, can amount to something significant. Again, small beginnings that perhaps the world would despise, but significant because of what God is doing. What we need to do is like that Christmas box lineup. We need to remain faithful to the part God has asked us to play. Not judge whether it's insignificant or not, but just obey Him and then He can bless our community no matter what role we play. Again, in this Christmas time, I often reflect on Mary and I love that Carol, Mary, did you know? Because I just think, did you? When the angel came and asked you to carry the Messiah, did you know? what would happen across his life, the good and the bad. You know, she, as a young teenage girl, engaged to be married, was asked to carry a child. Do you know the risk that that carried for her? The shame that carried for her? The the potential, she didn't know Joseph was going to embrace her and walk that journey with her when she said yes to God. And yet, she said yes. She laid aside all of her her dignity, you know, like all of the things like people's opinion of her to fulfill the Word of God. If we go to Luke uh, Luke 1, 46 to 49, just part of Mary's song. So before before she'd even had the Son of God, this was her response before she knew what He would do in, in the physical, before she saw Him. It says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. She was willing to lay aside her life for God's glory. But then I think, 
when she got to the point where he was hanging on the cross? What were her thoughts? Seeing her son, seeing Jesus, the one she knew was God's Messiah, innocent, being hanging on a cross, being cruelly tortured, put to death for a crime he didn't commit. In that moment, what did she think? What did she say? You know, she's probably a lot better than me, but I'd be like, where are you, God? This is not what you promised. How can this, how can good come of this? I thought he was the Messiah. I know he's your son. How are you going to redeem this? You know, in that moment, watching Jesus on the cross, surely she must have wrestled with, where are you, God? What are you doing? How can this come to good? And even Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, he says this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will be to done, will to be done, not mine. Jesus, facing, knowing that he was going to the cross, was like, really, God? Is there another way? Is there another way to achieve your plan, to achieve your purposes? Because this doesn't look, uh, this is not very appealing. This is not what I envisaged when I, you know, when you've got the dream in mind, I didn't envisage this path. Is this really the way you want to do things? But if it is, then I'll do it. And I think this to me is true faith, where we're willing to set aside ourselves, to become nobody, to become nothing in order to see God glorified. And God has just said, in terms of Mary, that's been one of my revelations this season, is your significance is linked to your surrender. Mary surrendered her reputation. Jesus surrendered everything. And look at the significance of their lives. Your significance is linked to your surrender. In John 12, Jesus says this to his disciples and then to us. In verse 24 to 26, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But the death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. He was talking about his own death. And then he goes on to to extend that to us. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for life, for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honour anyone who serves me. Christine Kane says, sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but actually you've been planted. So if I say that again, sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think that you've been buried, but actually you've been planted. Those seeds and the harvest have to be buried first. When we come back to not despising small beginnings, 
don't look out upon bare soil because if God has planted something, if God has promised something, there will be a harvest. If I could get the team to come back up. One of my prayers recently has been just, it's very simple, but when I face something and I've thought, I don't know how, I don't know the path through this, I don't know how I'm going to do this. It's just, I can't, God, but you can. Because it brings me to that place of surrender, of saying, I need him, because we all do. And Scripture promises us his power is made perfect in our weakness. James 5, 7 to 8 is the last Scripture I want to bring this morning. It says this, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. In Israel, the rains for the harvest generally came from November to March. But the rains that this refers to were rains that came in October and April. And they knew if there was an October rainfall and an April rainfall, there would be an amazing crop because it was best for the crop. So this is the rain James is talking about. He says they wait patiently for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. The truth is, there's, there's this, we know that Jesus came. He came, we celebrate that at this time of the year and He established His kingdom on earth. But we also know that earth is not perfect, that there are those storms and He hasn't yet fully established His kingdom. That theologians call this the already, but not yet of the kingdom of God. He's already come and paid the price, but it's not yet fully established. And this in-between time is what they say is the present age we live in as the church. So when James is talking about the early rain, it's like October rains have happened and we're now walking through the age of the church until the latter rains in April come. And you know, sometimes this period here is really frustrating because we're actually assembling the boxes. All of the things we need to do God's plan are there but yet we're still doing the work of seeing it to come. And there are still things that can come against us. If we go back to the gift analogy, if you get a bike for Christmas as a child and you're learning to ride a bike, you might hit a pothole and fall off and scrape yourself. And it hurts and you have to tend the wound. But then you need to get back up and get back on that bike if you wanna see yourself become a proficient rider. So we like the early, the already is that we've got the bike. The not yet is that we're not competent riding it yet. And we're in this process, this present age. And so what James is saying to us is he says, in this time, actually true faith is walking out in integrity, knowing that the fullness is coming, not giving up when the storm comes, not despising small beginnings, but holding on and staying true to what God has called us. So again, if I can bring you back to your dream, to your gift, to the anticipation of the gift, it might not yet be fulfilled. You might not be in harvest time. In fact, you might, like that quote from Christine Kane, feel like you've been buried. But the truth is you've been planted. The truth is if God has said it, it will happen. Something Matt said earlier this year is if it's not good, then God's not done. 
if it's not good, then God's not done. We still can put our trust in Him and that's what truth faith is. James is asking us to have integrity in our faith that when we can't see it, we don't give up. We continue believing, continue living faithfully to that. And so if I could get everybody to stand to their feet. As I say, that agricultural example is so far removed from our everyday life for most of us that we forget that there is a process, that we have to plant the seeds. They have to go through that growth before there's the harvest. So don't forget to sow. Do the God growth that needs to happen in you is because because God wants the best for you. And sometimes, as I say, if I compare back to kids, what we would pray for or how we think God should act is actually not best for us. And in those seasons, we just have to trust He knows what He is doing. And so I wanna give you an opportunity this morning to respond, to reflect, to even, you know, the very beginnings, ensuring that the soil is good for the seeds God deposits is worship, is actually saying, I surrender. It's all about you, God. I love you and I trust you. No matter what plan comes up, I know it's what's best because I know you're in this. And so before I finish, I'm gonna get the team to go into like a worship song because I want you to have the opportunity to worship, to reflect, to respond. If you wanna come forward and kneel at the altar, do that. Sometimes the very act of coming before God just says, I lay this down or I pick this up. I'm gonna take that gift from out of the cupboard and dust it off. But use this time to talk to God, to dream again, to recognise where you are, what season you're in, because God has a gift for every one of you. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.